0: One verse this morning is all we're going to cover. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8 should be up on the screen in a moment. And also, if um, if you have a Bible, you can open there. There should be an outline in your bulletin. And there are full manuscripts of the printed message at both exits. Feel free to get one now if you'd like or later. And all of the messages are now uh, up on sermonaudio.com, and you can access them there or on our church website. There's a link there that will take you there as well. Um, I'm sure this subject is irrelevant for all of us, but I thought I should spend a week on it. So we're going to talk about dealing with your anger. And Paul says this, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. I I would venture to say that almost everyone here was probably angry at least once this past week. Maybe it was the frustration of some crazy driver Uh, maybe it was being irritated with your kids. If you have kids, you were probably angry last week. They didn't pick up their toys or do something. Uh, Some husbands and wives just live, unfortunately, in an atmosphere of daily anger and hurt feelings. Some parents and children are in a constant battle and it results in yelling and angry words, sometimes abusive language toward one another. And then, of course, there are many adults that grew up in abusive situations, and the, the anger from that just keeps bubbling to the surface from time to time and flavors their uh, whole emotional state. If anybody here is thinking, what are you talking about? Who, me? Angry? I'm a Christian, and Christians don't get angry. Then you probably have a greater anger problem than those who readily say, yes, I admit I struggle with anger. I'll never forget one time in California, one of our elders was sitting in my office. His fists were clenched. His jaw was tight, his veins on his neck were bulging out, his face was red, and he said to me, I'm not angry. And I thought, wow, I'd hate to see you when you are then, because it was pretty obvious to me he was an angry man. In his book, The Christian Counselor's Manual, J. Adams says, anger is a problem for every Christian. Sinful anger is probably involved in 90% of all counseling situations or problems. Think of what would happen if everybody on earth could resolve their anger. I, I really believe child abuse and divorce would be eliminated because those always involve anger issues. Um, murder Terrorism, war would be gone. Many health problems would clear up. Doctors say that anger can harm the heart as much as smoking and high blood pressure do. In fact, the number one predictor of cardiovascular disease greater than your cholesterol level is uh, dealing with unresolved or unmanaged anger. Uh, in addition to high blood pressure and heart disease, there are a lot of other physical things that happen in our bodies when we are perpetually angry people. And so our problem, our, our text, I should say, is a very dealing with a very practical problem, and that is how to deal with your anger. And Paul is telling us here that Christians must put aside all sinful anger, and abusive speech. Verse 8 again, but now you also, gets pretty specific, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Now, if you're honest, you probably would react to that verse by saying, wow, that's great advice, Paul, but you're dodging the critical question, and that is, How do I do it? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, just put all your anger aside, but practically, how do I do that? Um, I don't know if you've ever watched the hilarious Bob Newhart video. It's about six minutes. You can watch it on YouTube sometime when you need a good laugh, where he's the psychologist, and a woman comes to him for counsel, And she's terrified that she will be buried alive in a box. So she's claustrophobic. And she kind of tells him her story. And he says, I'm going to give you some advice. She says, do I need to write it down? He says, no, no, just listen. Stop it. And she's just stunned. That's it? He says, yes, stop it. And she presses him. He says, you don't understand the English? S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. And the thing escalates from there, and it's really funny. if She brings up, well, my mother, when I was a child, treated me this way. No, no, we don't go there. Just stop it. And uh, here Paul seems to say, you're angry? Just stop it. Just stop it. Uh, but Paul, when I was a child, my parents abused me, and now I just seethe with anger. Put it all aside. But but Paul, my wife, nags me constantly until I just explode in anger. Put it all aside. But Paul, my my husband is a workaholic and he he neglects me and he leaves all the child rearing to me and the housekeeping to me and he's so self-centered, I just get so angry. Put it all aside. But Paul, my kids, sass me. And they don't do what I ask them to do, and I have to repeat it, and finally I just get so angry I explode and yell at them. Put it all aside. (laughs) But Paul, you don't understand. My boss at work is unfair. His daughter works for the company, and he favors her, and, and he treats me unfairly, and I just get so angry, and I hate the man. Put it all aside. I mean, it sounds like Paul took lessons from Bob Newhart, doesn't it? You know, just stop it. Just stop it. And he doesn't say, well, you know, your anger is really deep-seated and it's going to take years of psychotherapy for you to work it through and really get this worked out of your system. He doesn't tell these new believers, you know, there's an anger management class over at the Colossae uh, Civic Center. Go over there and sign up, and maybe that'll help you with your struggle. He just says, simply, put it all aside. Put it all aside. So, as I wrestled with this, I thought, I wonder if we've made things more complicated than they need to be. Because here you have an apostle Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe God's word, every word of it is inspired. And he's writing to these fairly new Christians from pagan backgrounds, and you have to assume they brought a lot of baggage into their Christian lives. I'm sure some of them were abused as children. I'm sure husbands and wives were at each other's throats in that day. Um, He lists some of the sins that they had to deal with there in verse 5, and I think... He's writing these things because he knew they were dealing with these sins, and they didn't have study Bibles, and they didn't have Christian books to read on how to deal with this, and there weren't video series by famous Christian counselors telling you how to resolve anger issues. In fact, there weren't any Christian counselors. And, you know, they didn't have self-help articles and magazines where they could read and and anger management classes, and none of that. And when Paul writes to them, he simply tells them, put it all aside. That's really amazing as you think about it. And so I want to explore what we can learn from this simple verse in the context of this letter. It seems to me the first thing is honestly analyze your anger to determine whether it is righteous anger Sinful anger or a mix, mixture. It's striking that in verse 6, Paul mentions that the wrath of God is going to come. And then in verse 8, he tells us to put aside all anger and wrath. And the word anger in verse 8 is the same Greek word as wrath in verse 6. And so, if God has wrath and God gets angry and we are to be godly, then how come he tells us to put all anger and wrath aside? I think a clue might be in Colossians 4.16, Paul says, I want you guys to read the letter that's coming to you from Laodicea. Now, many uh, scholars think that the letter to the Ephesians ...was a circular letter that Paul sent out to all these churches in Asia Minor... ...and that it, in fact, is the letter to Laodicea. And if that's the case, then these people had read Ephesians... ...and when you read Ephesians, in Ephesians 4.26, Paul quotes from Psalm 4.4... ...and he says, "...be angry, and yet do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger." And then just a few verses later, as he does here in Ephesians 4.31, he says, uh, put aside all anger. And I believe that those scriptures, and there are others, show us that anger can be either righteous anger or it can be sinful anger. So what's the difference? Righteous anger is the godly reaction to sin or injustice usually not against us, but against others, when we see sin or injustice, because God's wrath is his settled opposition against all sin. Um, Jesus, Jesus was angry without sinning when he saw the hardness of heart of some in Israel. He was angry against hypocrisy. He was angry against phony religion as when he cleansed out the temple on two occasions. And uh, most of the references in the Bible, by the way, refer to God's anger, not to human anger. And so, if we become like God, we too will have this anger, hatred, whatever you want to call it, when we see sin and injustice. I would argue even if you can see um, or read about Babies being cut up in the womb and, and aborted. And uh, you hear about criminals going without punishment. If you don't get angry over that and just uh, and want to pray for righteousness, then you're not being godly. Godliness requires anger against that kind of evil. So the first step then in dealing with your anger is stop and analyze it honestly. Is it righteous? Is it sinful? Or often, honestly, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. So think about why you're angry. In the very first situation of, put it in quotes, counseling in the Bible, God asked Cain a question Genesis 4 7 or 6. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Now, you have to assume whenever God asks a question in the Bible, he's not trying to gain information, okay? God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knew why Cain was angry. He was trying to get Cain to focus on his own anger and and say, why are you angry? And the reason was, I'm angry because you rejected my sacrifice and you accepted my brother's sacrifice and I'm jealous of my brother. And God goes on and he confronts Cain And and he tells him, if you'll do well, then fine, you can resist this, but be careful because sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain ignored that advice. He went on and murdered his brother. Another occasion, the prophet Jonah was angry. And he was angry because God had sent him to Nineveh, And the Ninevites were the enemies of Israel, and Jonah, frankly, wanted God to zap the enemy. You know, judge them, God. And instead, God showed them mercy and brought a revival. And so twice, God confronted Jonah and asked, do you have good reason to be angry? Again, God knew the answer. And Jonah protested, yes, I have good reason to be angry, but you read the story and it's very obvious, no, he didn't. No, he didn't, and so you have to be careful with so called righteous anger. There was an old Scottish hymn writer named George Matheson, and he said, "There are times when I do well to be angry, but i I have mistaken the times <laughs> and the point is it's easy to justify your sinful anger and say yes i'm righteous and and uh Even legitimately righteous anger is often tainted because of the flesh. You know, when I analyze my own anger, the embarrassing truth is almost always it stems from my selfishness. I didn't get my way. And I want my way. It may have been with another person. It may have been with a circumstance. God, I wanted it to work out this way. And it didn't. And so I get angry because... You see, I'm not the Lord, am I? But I want to be, you know, in the flesh. I want to be in charge. I want things to go my way, and they didn't go my way. And I get angry, or I didn't get my rights. And I demand my rights. And everybody's today out for their rights. Um, But when I analyze it, you know, I realize most of my anger comes from selfishness. And if it's selfish anger, it's sinful anger. Now, maybe at this point you're thinking, all right, great, but how is that helpful? <laughs> if I analyze my anger and I come out with the view that it's sinful, all that does is make me feel guilty. Uh, the good news, though, is the Bible has a solution for victory over sin. And so if our anger is sinful, the Bible's got the answer how we can overcome sin. And so the second point to realize is that you can control your sinful anger. Christ died not just to take away the guilt of our sin, but also to give us power over sin, and he does that through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, And so Paul's simple command here, put aside all your anger, implies you can do it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be commanding it, would he? Um, he doesn't make exceptions here and say, you can do it unless you're born with a short fuse. Uh, You can do it unless you really suffered as a child and have all these anger issues. Uh, He doesn't make exceptions. He just says simply, verse 8, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And at this point, again, you may be protesting, but that's the problem. I can't do it. You know, I've tried, but I explode before I even think about it. And uh, telling me to stop being angry is like Bob Newhart telling that claustrophobic woman, just stop it. It doesn't work. But that's not true. And I offer two proofs for why that's not true. First of all, the Bible never commands us to do something that we cannot do by the power of God's indwelling spirit. God's not in the business of frustrating us. And if he commands it, then by his power within us, we can do it. And there are a lot of commands in the Bible that are just straight, direct commands. Do this, don't do that kind of thing. And you go through the book of Proverbs and there, there are well over a dozen verses about controlling anger. And as I said, God told Cain, uh, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. And if Cain, I'm sure he didn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in him, but if he'd cried out and said, God, the problem is I can't master it. Help me. I believe graciously God would have given Cain the help and he would not have done the disastrous deed of murdering his brother. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You have none other than the Holy Spirit of God, the omnipotent Spirit dwelling within you. When you go to the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, Paul's got a long catalog of sins. And uh, they're deeds of the flesh. And focusing just on the ones that relate to our subject, he includes enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. All of those are related to sinful anger. And then he goes on and he lists the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which, as you know, I hope, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as you go through that list of nine fruits of the Spirit, they're really all aspects of good relationships. They're the opposite of anger. Now, what's the key to going from the deeds of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit? Well, Paul gives it in Galatians 5.16. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not uh, carry out the deeds of or the desire of the flesh. And so while, yes, it may be humanly impossible to control your anger, if you have none other than the Spirit of the living God dwelling in you, and you're learning to walk in the Spirit, then you can control your anger. Now, granted, fruit takes time. It may not be instantaneous. If you're an angry person, tomorrow you may not wake up and be a person with total control. Fruit takes time, it takes nurture, but there should be an increasing pattern of godliness in your life where the love of Christ, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, all of those fruits are growing increasingly in your life. And so the second you feel anger welling up within you, if you'll stop long enough, first of all, to analyze it and say, you know, that's sin. And number two, Lord, by your grace, with your indwelling spirit, I'm trusting in you right now. Give me the grace to respond in the situation in a way that reflects your character, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, all of those things. You will see increasing victories over your anger. A second proof that you can control your anger is your own experience proves it. Your own experience proves that you can control your anger, here's the key, if you want to do so. If you want to do so. Every one of us has done it. You're in a rage, and you instantly turn it off because you want to. Let me give you an example. This is only hypothetical. I know this doesn't happen, but you and your wife are angrily yelling at each other, and the phone rings. And it's me. (laughs) You don't pick up the phone and go, what do you want, you idiot? You know, shut up. I'm talking to my wife, slam. You, You don't do that. Oh, pastor. Yeah, we're doing great over here. Good to hear your voice. Now, what are you doing? Well, number one, you're being a hypocrite. But number two, you are controlling your anger. Instantly, you turn it off because you want to. Another example, you're at work and your boss makes some outrageous demand, you know, I need this done by quitting time, and you're just thinking, that is impossible, what an idiot my boss is, and you're seething inside with anger, but you know if you explode at your boss, uh, that's the end of your job, and you've got to keep your job, and so you say, yes sir, I'll do my best, thank you, and you just controlled your anger because you wanted to, you wanted to keep your job. Even non-Christians can do that, and they do that. Um, You know, you read a magazine like Reader's Digest, and there are self-help articles on tips on controlling your anger. As I mentioned, there are anger management classes, and I've never been to one, but assuming they must work, or nobody would go to those things. Um, The Hindu Gandhi, he had a motto on his wall that read, when you are in the right, you can afford... To keep your temper, when you're in the wrong, you cannot afford to lose it. And so here's a man who's very controlled. He knows, I can't lose my temper. It's going to undermine what I'm trying to do in life. And so he controlled it. And he, he didn't have the Holy Spirit in him. And so if pagans can control their anger, and if we can, when we choose, control our anger, then certainly when we rely on the power of the indwelling Spirit of God... And seek to glorify God with our behavior, we can control our anger. Now, what is it that we're to control? Well, let's work through the words. Anger and wrath are used somewhat synonymously. If there's a nuance of difference, anger refers more to a a settled disposition that results in hatred. Where, you know, it's a slow burn The the word for wrath is the Greek word for boil. And so the picture there is the explosive kind of anger, the volcano that goes off kind of thing, outbursts of anger. The word malice is a general term for wickedness, and here it probably just refers to what we would call having it in for someone, where you just want to do them wrong. Slander is a word used elsewhere for blaspheming God and when you blaspheme God, you damage his reputation. And so to slander another person means you're trying to make that person look bad, usually because you want to look good. So you're putting them down in the presence of others. Abusive speech means using inf- insults. It may or may not involve profanity. Sometimes it's name-calling Uh, you're you're putting down another person. And it's the very opposite of Paul's command in Ephesians 4.29, where he says that we shouldn't have rotten words coming out of our mouth, but just words that build up and give grace to the other person. So our anger usually works its way out into abusive speech, where if we don't deal with it on the heart level then pretty soon, yeah, we're, we're saying things, yelling at people, using foul language, and so on. But the point is, we can control our anger by God's grace through his indwelling spirit if we choose to rely on him. So the first step when you're angry is stop and analyze your anger. Is it sinful? Probably. <laughs> Uh, May be righteous, more likely a mixture. And then, secondly, realize you can control it by God's Spirit. The third thing is recognize and confess your sinful anger and then submit to God's sovereign hand in the situation. Um, So before I can deal with my anger and obey Paul's word here to put all these things aside, I have to first of all recognize "Ah, I am angry. And then recognize it's sin. It's sin. And I am responsible for my sin. I can't blame. You know, well, it's this woman you gave me, as Adam told the Lord in the first instance of sin. Um husbands if you're really brave here's a question you can ask your wife Am I an angry man and then don't get angry when she tells you the truth <laughs> I am really concerned that our homes be characterized by the love of Jesus Christ not by anger and sadly so many christian homes the atmosphere is not love it's anger It's anger. And so many Christians either deny that they're angry or they've bought into this psychological baloney. Here's the psychological baloney. Feelings aren't right or wrong. Feelings just are. And so you're supposed to own up to your feelings. Well, that's completely unbiblical. Some feelings are sinful feelings and some feelings are godly feelings. And we are to deny the former and embrace the latter. I've known of Christian counselors who tell people, you have a right to be angry because of how you've been treated. That just fuels the flesh. I, I knew one who told people, go beat a pillow and think about your father as you hit that pillow. That's not a godly way to deal with anger. It's just the flesh. I've read of some, they even advise, tell God off, tell God how you feel, you know? He can take it. Wow, that's scary. You know? It's one thing to admit, Lord, I'm really angry. But you got to do it as a submissive child, not as a defiant, rebellious child. When my kids were young, I made a distinction always. Are they being children or are they being defiant? See, if if they're just being a three year old and throwing a tantrum, okay, okay, I gotta help them grow up. But if they're being a defiant three year old and they're mouthing off to me and they're they're really <laughs> I dealt with their attitude first, even if I was in the wrong. Now God is never in the wrong, but as a parent, sometimes I was. But if they came to me complaining and said, Dad, You know, you promised this, but you didn't do it. Okay, I I can accept that, and I would listen. But if they came ranting and raving at me, we got an attitude issue here. They're not in submission to my authority that God gave me. And so, um, when we deal with God, it's never right to blame God. God, you did this to me. (laughs) You're at fault. No, 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 no. God is never wrong. And if I'm in a difficult situation, he permitted it or brought it for my good. If I will submit and learn from the situation. And so confessing it means saying to God, I'm angry, God, I've sinned. I've sinned in my anger. It means I accept responsibility for it. It means I take appropriate action to turn from it. It means that I ask His forgiveness and uh, submit to Him. It means asking forgiveness of the one I wronged. And so submitting joyfully to God's mighty hand in a situation where I'm prone to get angry is critical and and acknowledging, Lord, you know, my anger shows I'm sinning. Lord, I want to be subject to you. I want to trust you. I want to know that you're good. And you're doing this for good. If you want a case study, by the way, of a young man who had every right to be an angry young man. And he didn't rail at God. And he didn't attack those who had wronged him. The story of Joseph in Genesis is a beautiful case study. Here's a young man. His brothers were going to murder him. Instead, they sold him into slavery He does the right thing. He gets thrown into the dungeon. He's there during the better part of his prime years in his 20s. And he gets out, and he could have gotten revenge on his brothers, and he doesn't. And he could have been angry at God, and he's not. And at the end of Genesis, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result. And there's a man who is subject to God And he's not an angry man. He's not out to get revenge. So always ask, Lord, what do I need to learn from this trial? I don't want to be angry. I want to be a learner. And then the final thing here is deal radically and decisively with all of your sinful anger. Um, Verse 8 parallels verse 5. And in verse 5, Paul said, Put to death. Your, your members with regard to all these sins. It's a radical command. You know, just take radical action against it. Here, put them all aside. And it's a different picture. He doesn't say kill them, but it's a picture of you come in from working and your clothes are filthy and you take them off and throw them in the hamper or in some cases throw them away. They're so dirty you can't get them clean. Um... Now, in verse 12, Paul's going to go on and tell them to put on some new behaviors, godly behaviors that are all summarized by love. But the point I'm making is putting off and putting on are decisive actions that we are to take as uh, new believers, new creatures in Christ. And yes, the Holy Spirit produces his fruit of self-control in us so we don't blow up in anger, But we're responsible to walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, He gives us control over ourselves. So my point is, a passive approach to anger isn't going to win. You're not going to do it. This is a sin you've got to deal with decisively and confront it. It's not going to just get better automatically. Now, to do that, you've got to develop a biblical strategy. A biblical strategy, and uh, in the printed notes there, I put this in bold face so you can see it, but it's in the outline as well. First and foremost is make sure you've trusted in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to give you eternal life. Uh, I don't want to assume just because you go to church that you're born again. And if you're not born again, you don't have the Holy Spirit, And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have what you need to overcome your anger. And the minute you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in you permanently. And it's a process of learning to walk in him just as you learn to walk as a baby, a young toddler. So you have to learn to walk in the Spirit, but you don't even have the Spirit unless you've trusted Christ. So that is Bottom line, critical. And then the second thing, learning to walk in moment by moment, dependence on the Holy Spirit, yielding control of your life to Him. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit, is not I, but Christ. I'm not going to be in charge, Lord. I want you to be in charge of my life in this situation. Another key in the strategy is Memorize scriptures that relate to the problem of anger. Uh, a scripture that I memorized many years ago, Proverbs 12:18 says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And the word picture there is your tongue can be a sword and you can slash people with it. Or it can be a scalpel and it carefully brings healing. And there's been so many times when I guarantee you my sword was out and I was ready to start swinging and that verse came to my mind and I thought, wait a minute, put your sword back. You need to bring healing in this situation and a gentle word turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you need gentleness, not wrath. Another verse was cited earlier in the worship, James 1, 19 and 20. Uh, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. He got two ears and only one mouth, so open those two ears. Slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so, if our desire is the righteousness of God, we can't do it. And many, many other helpful verses, but my point here is this. When you get into a situation where you're prone to be angry you're probably not going to have your big study Bible in hand and a concordance where you say, just a minute, I know there's a verse in here somewhere about anger, but, man, I'll, I'll be. I can't find it. Uh, that won't work. You've got to have it in your brain. You've got to have it memorized. So write these verses when you come across them. There are many of them in Proverbs, many in the New Testament. Write them down, memorize them, And then you will be renewing your mind so you can uh, use them in that situation. Here's another part of the strategy. If you have sinned by being angry, then go to the person you were angry against and humbly ask forgiveness for your wrong. Now, don't say, I was wrong, but you were too. You know, no, just own up to your end of it. Let God deal with the other person. And I'm going to say something kind of radical, but I think it's important. If, as a husband and wife, you argue angrily in the presence of your children, you need to call a family council together, and in the presence of your children, you need to ask your wife's forgiveness, and you need to ask forgiveness of your kids. And if you're thinking, well, oh, I'll lose face if I do that. No, you won't. No you won't. Yeah, it's humbling. But you just need to say, kids, you need to understand when I was yelling at your mom, I was sinning. And God has convicted me of my sin, and I want to a- I've asked God's forgiveness and I just want to ask your forgiveness as a family for the sin that I had there and please pray for me. I want to I want to grow so that I don't become angry. You see, if you don't do that, You know what your kids smell? They smell the stench of hypocrisy. Because they see you go to church and you put on the good Christian face and everybody at church thinks you're so godly. And then at home, you're an ogre and you don't own up to it. And your kids say, I don't want anything to do with that. That's phony. Same thing if you yell at your kids. Maybe they were sinning. Maybe they were disobedient. They were wrong. And I think it's fine to say, you know, you were wrong in that. But you got to go to your kids and say, you know, I was wrong. I sinned when I yelled at you. Would you please forgive me? And then they see reality in your walk with God. Uh, so what I'm saying again is our homes should be characterized with a, the sweet savor of the love of Christ, not with anger Anger is a deed of the flesh. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Another part of the strategy to conquer your anger, spend time daily meditating on God's mercy to you at the cross. Paul's going to go on and say down in verses 12 and 13, So, as those who have been chosen of God. He puts the emphasis there on divine election. God chose you. You didn't choose him. Holy and beloved. Here's what you're to do. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. He wouldn't say that if other people were practicing this totally, because you don't have to bear with people unless they're being difficult, right? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, here's the key. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Well, how did the Lord forgive us? Paul's already told us that back in chapter 2 in verse 13. When you were a good person trying your best, that's not what he says. When you were dead, in your transgressions and sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's how we were. He made you alive together with him, and here's the great news, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's the wonder of salvation. And as that fills your heart, if God has been merciful to you, you can't go out and grab your fellow servant and say, pay up, you you lousy person. You have to extend the forgiveness of God to others, starting in your family. And then as Paul went on to say in chapter 3, we saw we're now identified with Christ. He is our life. And if Christ is our life and our minds are set on those things above where he is, again, how can we be angry angry? And unmerciful and unloving, we have to be like Christ. And then a final part of the strategy to deal decisively with your anger is pray for and pray with those you're angry with. If a quarrel erupts in your family, husbands, fathers, I think you need to take the initiative and say, time out, family, hold on. You know, I realize everyone's upset here. Let's just bow before the Lord and commit it to him and then ask for his wisdom on how to resolve this his way. And then when you pray, you don't say, Oh, Lord, would you please help my wife with her anger? And, Lord, would you please help my kids with their bad tempers? Uh, That's not how you pray. You just say, Lord, we're we're all weak, and you know us, and you loved us anyway. Lord, help us to show your love in this situation. And then you coach your family through how to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and so on in the situation. So the point I'm making is your anger isn't going to get better automatically. You've got to uh, deal with it radically, decisively. You've got to recognize that all sinful anger and all abusive speech are not pleasing to the Lord. They're like your old dirty clothes from the old life. And Paul says, you got to put those off, and now you got to put on new life in Christ. And uh, so don't accept your anger. Don't excuse it. Well, I just have an Irish temper, you know, or whatever. Um, Your anger can be controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit if you recognize its source, You know, that it's sinful. Uh, You confess it as sin, and then as you walk in the Spirit, you deal decisively with it, with the strategy that I've outlined. When Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, he raised anger to a pretty high level when he said, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, it's comparable to murder. Because God knows all murder begins in our heart with unresolved anger. And then Jesus went on, and he applied it in this way in Matthew five twenty three and 24. He said, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. If I can paraphrase it in modern uh, terms, you're at church. And you suddenly get convicted, as you remember. You're at odds with somebody. I don't know if you should leave the service, but I think the point is this. God is far more concerned that you make it a priority as soon as you can to be reconciled to your brother or sister, husband or wife, children, whoever it may be, than he is about your sitting here and singing songs and listening to a sermon. Relationships are really, really important to God. Love God, love one another. That's the whole Christian life. And so don't live in anger all week long and then come into church and put on a happy face and act like you're the most enthusiastic worshiper here. God wants you to put aside that old life, characterized by anger, and to put on the new life, characterized by the love of Christ and he wants us to show that in our daily relationships especially in our homes we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and it's an opportunity to do what I've been saying we are to examine ourselves and then we are to partake and so If you examine yourself and say, yeah, there's some anger I got to resolve, I need to confess. Confess it to the Lord, and then resolve immediately, as soon as I can, I'm going to go to the person I was angry with, and I'm going to get right with that person. Let me pray for us. Dear Father, you know our hearts. You know how many of us really struggle with our anger. And many here, I'm sure, are defeated by it. And our anger doesn't glorify you. It doesn't achieve your righteousness. And so, Father, would you be merciful to us again? Thank you that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I I ask, Lord, that you would help us, especially those of us with families, to be demonstrating the love of Christ, not sinful anger, in our homes every day. And when we fail, that we would humble ourselves and ask forgiveness, and that the fruit of your Spirit would be manifest in our relationships. Thank you for this reminder that Christ died for our sins while we were yet sinners. And that he doesn't cast us off because this is the new covenant that you have made with us in which you've said their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So we thank you for that and partake with thankfulness in Jesus' name. Amen.